0: I'm Nina Grenning-Loreyes, and this is the Meet the Changemakers podcast, where you will discover imaginative ideas and unconventional perspectives on business and life from visionary minds and impact-driven leaders around the world. Together, we have one thing in common. We are obsessed with creating a better tomorrow, and we are ready to make it happen. Manuel Kreitmeier is a social entrepreneur and third culture kid with a background as a second generation tea and spice farmer in Sri Lanka. He created Ohana Social Enterprise which delivers coffee and tea from family-owned farms to purpose-driven companies, offices and co-working spaces. He is a facilitator and thought leader for social innovation. He worked as a policy advisor for the UN and European Commission for Social Entrepreneurship and Social Economy. He co-founded the Digital Social Innovation Lab, Germany's first digital university incubator. At the Mannheim Business School, Manuel is also a lecturer in the Master in Sustainability and Impact Management. He leads systems change as the co-founder and director at the Center for Open Social Innovation or COSY, in Heidelberg, Germany. Well, thanks for making the time today, Manuel. I'm really excited to have you on Meet the Changemakers and to talk with you about systems change and uh, social businesses, social innovation in general. And I'm just generally very excited to talk to you. There's one question that I always ask my guests is, which part of the world are you joining us from today?
1: Uh, first of all, Nina, thank you very much for, for having me here. I'm joining you from Heidelberg, Germany. This is also where we are based and, and operating from. Yeah,
0: Beautiful town. I haven't been, but I heard it's really beautiful. It is very
1: beautiful indeed, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Old university town, so and definitely worth a visit, yeah.
0: So Manuel, you're the director of the Center for Open Social Innovation in Heidelberg. And you describe yourself as a systems entrepreneur on LinkedIn. So I'm really curious if you could explain to us and to all the listeners who don't really know what a systems entrepreneur is, what is it? Well, how would you describe it?
1: Um, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I, I get that question regularly, so it's always, I think, a little bit difficult for those of us who work in, in the social field or who work on systems change. So we already have uh, systems, or who work uh, as change makers, right? To kind of describe of what we are doing. So another term, of course, that I many times describe is social entrepreneur, and uh, I'm also a social entrepreneur. So I started my career founding a social startup in the field of direct trade. Which is still existing. We do direct trade between uh, coffee and tea farmers, and we match them with socially conscious companies. But then it happened that part of my work was also more involved in community building, especially here in Germany and here in our state of Baden-Württemberg. In 2006, we formed the first membership-driven network of social entrepreneurs, 2016, sorry. And in 2016, this was not such a big topic in Germany. So there was still a lot of you know explanation to do with social entrepreneurship means. So we generally always describe it as solving social challenges with entrepreneurial means. But that's, of course, like very broad. So we came together. I mean, I work in direct trade. Some of my friends, they uh, started an impact hub, like a co-working space for social startups. Others work in refugee aid or in social work integration. And even though we are working from various fields, we found out that uh, it makes sense to come together uh, to found an association and have a voice for ourselves. And then we are starting to uh, be recognized as a partner, basically, for other institutions. So first of all, I always say we are a self-aid network for social entrepreneurs Uh, but we realized that from the side of politics from from our state from big corporations they asked us if we can improve their support programs that they have for social entrepreneurship so then suddenly uh, quite fast actually in 2017 we started to do incubator programs ourselves together with SAP for example who are also based here in Baden-Württemberg just uh, outside of Heidelberg and and some other big corporations and then finally in 2020 we Uh, organized for the German EU Council presidency at the European Social Economy Summit, which was like supposed to be the the biggest summit for social economy in Europe. Because of COVID, it it couldn't happen in 2020. It happened in 2021. And we did it uh, hybrid. And it was actually the biggest, you know, EU event, consultation event on, on social economy. And More and more of this work that we have been doing, I saw that there's kind of a need for, let's say, somebody who has an outside perspective from different angles to be a partner for The European Commission, to be a partner for big corporates, to be a partner for startups, right? And this is why as a spin-off in uh, 2020, we founded the Center of Open Social Innovation. So the short form is COSI. It is based here in Heidelberg. It's a a non-profit competence center for social innovation. We always say our uh, mission is to use open innovation to solve the world's greatest challenges. Basically, we are a sparing partner for other organizations. We work with academia, with policy, industry, also with civil society, and especially social startups to kind of bring different stakeholders together if they need an outside perspective. Or uh, we always like to bring uh, people together from different fields. So for example, bring corporate people into the nonprofit field or nonprofit people into the corporate field. So things like that. And... I found it's very difficult to describe what kind of job this is. So going back to your question. And Ashoka, I think, did a very nice piece on systems entrepreneurship in the Stanford Social Innovation Review, where they described the systems entrepreneur as kind of the next step for social entrepreneurs working on changing whole ecosystems. And uh, this article kind of resonated with me, and I thought it best described what I do. But still, the feedback that I get is I often have to explain it. <laughs> so I'm not uh, really sure how, how self-explanatory it is, but I like the concept very much. And I, I, for myself, think it's the best words to describe of what I'm doing.
0: Truth be told, I could imagine what that could be because I am... Reading a lot as well about social innovation and about systems change and all that, so I had a feeling that's what it was about. But I wanted to hear it in your words. Social innovation has been around a little bit longer, as you described. You started your center in 2016, but I feel like in North America, because I used to live in Toronto and I was a member of the center for social innovation there, Mm -hmm. I think the center was founded. I'm not sure off the top of my head, but a little bit earlier, um, maybe in 2008 or so, or 2010. So the concept has been around for a while, but I feel like it's still very much niche if you look at the broader economic field and, and also what's happening in general in the economy and in politics. And that would be my next question, actually, to To ask you is what do you think? I feel like there's such a discrepancy between what I read from the social innovation scene and what you're describing as a systems entrepreneur. You want to really work on changing the system. But when I see the news coverage and when I see what's coming out of the governments in terms of what we see in the news, we see an entirely different story. We don't hear a lot about social innovation we don't hear a lot about systems change I think if you throw the word systems change in any talk show these days they will probably raise their hands up and say oh my god you know we what's that we can't do that yeah we want a revolution so (laughs) so that's why I'm always so baffled by the amazing projects that uh, people like yourself are working on and yet we don't seem to see it kind of rippling through into the mainstream conversation. Do you feel the same? And if so, what do you think is the reason for that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can totally agree. I think sometimes this can be very frustrating, especially as you described yourself getting more into, into the topic. First of all, let me say we in Germany, we're definitely not front runners on this topic, right? You have already said it, other countries, especially the Anglo-Saxon country and also in the States, of course, there yeah, are places that have been working on this and have been doing research on, on the topic of social innovation since quite some time. So there is already like a good basis for best practices in terms of what can work, what doesn't work, on which we can build on. I, I think on a broader discussion, this is a little bit a question of like evidence-based policy, right? I mean, we see this in many, in, in many categories. I think climate scientists, they can they can tell their own story about it. It's it's also a little bit about that, right? But it goes also a bit beyond. One example of using open social innovation on a policy level was the European Social Economy Summit that we organized in 2021, where altogether uh, 7,000 stakeholders from the social economy in Europe could participate. We had uh, 150 sessions, which were hosted by open call from different organizations, speaking, prioritizing topics. And then we try to kind of have uh, like a collective knowledge harvesting process where we try to have like all this information, all this feedback, So we used really harvesters that went into each session and kind of highlighted different priorities. We used post and pre-survey and and we worked together with the University of uh, of Mannheim for that and also with the University of Heidelberg and other institutes. And it was very funny because I was speaking to many colleagues basically around the world and there's very little which has been done, especially in the topic of uh, policy consultancy from where we could learn, (laughs) you know, this was Mm -hmm. like a really new area. Uh, because on this scale and especially taking into consideration the possibilities of digitalization, there's very, very little done. And funny enough, it was uh, very interesting of what we did that the, the World Economic Forum got in contact with us because they want to democratize the World Economic Forum. They want to have more stakeholder engagement. And, and so they were very interested like, uh, uh, on, on the process that we are using and how we are you know, trying to involve stakeholders. So this was a part then of the Social Economy Action Plan, which is kind of, a, for the next nine years, kind of the main policy plan for, for the social economy in Europe. But of course, this is just one stepping stone. And personally, I would wish that this could have, setting a more present, present example of how important this can be. Because of course, first of all, there were many things that we knew already, you know. but then there's knowing and knowing, right? Like knew, knew already that uh, maybe funding opportunities from the European Commission are not very suitable for social entrepreneurs but it's something else if you have like the evidence of thousands of people and then also in the workshops we're not asking only about the problems we're asking about solutions so one of the solutions is for example uh, lump sum working with lump sums so that people you know don't have uh, this whole hurdle of the reporting later on so I I don't want to get too much into the specifics but even like small small things that um, might be obvious can make a big difference and it's something else if you're just trying to guess what people need or want or it's a difference or Also, if you know what they want, and also in terms of citizen engagement, which is very interesting. I mean, normally when we talk about European politics, a lot of organizations, they call, say, less bureaucracy. When we had like kind of the onboarding for the workshops and we talked to them and it's always goal oriented, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I said, that's absolutely useless you know that's not like nobody can work with this so and then they realize yeah it's true like like what do you mean with less like everybody no politician will disagree with you when you say less bureaucracy but what do you mean exactly and then you you make a deep dive into it for example the 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 rules if you get funding and the kind of the reporting that you have to do and that you have to spend it exactly the way maybe you did the call three years ago so okay then then slowly we are getting somewhere and then we can work on the workshop on okay what could be a, a feasible solution because of course there's also a valid argument from the European Commission or the European uh, government they want to know where the money has been spent right so I think that the understanding works on both ways and unfortunately there is also a little bit I think a fear from the side of politics to open in that way and also of course there are um, not only constructive elements I have to say we were incredible lucky having like 7,000 people. And I, I I don't know, I think very, very few trolls. I think the bad experience that we had is not not even like five people, but it's also a little bit we are social economy. So the ones who are interested in the topic, the ones who engage there. So maybe that, I don't know, filters it a little bit out. So uh, yeah, back to your question. I think, yeah, it's amazing also when you look at great examples that have already been implemented in other countries and that policy... Always try to reinvent the wheel many many times, right? And especially in social innovation, uh, this is not necessary. There are so many great best practices. And now I only talk about Europe, right? But in Europe, more or less, you know, of course, we can learn from one another. For example, in social work integration, where they have great projects in Spain and Italy, and when I talk to policymakers here in Germany, that's literally unknown. I really have uh, sometimes uh, speaking to members of parliament and then they think they kind of, you know, there was discussion about having a social impact fund and it's not even known that, for example, England already did that, right? And maybe to look at what England did with Nesta and all this, it's always the question why don't we look at what other countries did, learn from their mistakes and maybe also their best practices and not trying to always reinvent the wheel. I also don't really have the answer. It's still a niche phenomenon. And especially in Germany, it's also why we work a lot in European. Level it's still also very very hard and this is also reflected in academia we have very few dedicated chairs or professorships that are really dedicated to this topic this also plays a, a huge role right mm-hmm. um, so yeah it's it's kind of the ecosystem is still not very well established but I think especially in the times that we are in and Europe more or less uh, I think realized it more than for example the German government. This is a very great tool, one tool, not the only tool, but it's a very great tool to find solutions, especially in this times that we are in, this very not easy times with a lot of change, with a lot of fast changing things where you have to consider a lot of perspective and stakeholder perspectives. I think social innovation can provide a lot of solutions and there's still a lot of untapped potential here. Yeah,
0: Very interesting. And sure, I, it can be very complex on the one hand, but I hear you, the fact that You can learn from best practices or you can learn from previous failures in other European countries, especially having the European Parliament, you know, at the center of it. And uh, like you said, the European Commission doing these deep dives, if you will, is definitely a game changer, I think. You were just talking about academia. You're also a lecturer at the Mannheim Business School. And I'm curious that you, you teach in the master's program, sustainability and impact management master's program. Tell us a little bit more about what that entails and do you know a little bit more about what brings students to this program? What do they come with? What kind of feedback do you get from people? What kind of conversations do you have there and and how's the university involved with also getting this outside of academia and into the
1: practical impact applications, if you will? I have been working with the University of Mannheim since 2019. They have a great professor, Professor Laura Schoens, who is now the Chair of Sustainability. She has been doing great work from the start, you know, beginning with crowdfunding her own chair and then working a lot with the corporates and also with startups, social startups. And that's actually how, how we started working together. And uh, in 2019, we first founded a lab at the University of Mannheim, where students can develop their own social startups with a focus on digitalization we helped students to gather ideas and solve societal challenges for example some students developed an app for homelessness or others uh, worked on uh, food waste and uh, so this was kind of the starting point Mannheim, of course, and especially the Mannheim Business School is, I think now this year, again, the leading business, always among the top business schools in Germany and and one of the best in in Europe. They're very famous for their MBA program. So it's really a classical, traditional, well-established business school. And personally, I thought it's very, very interesting for me to go into this environment And talking about impact, about sustainability, about alternative business models, right? Which I have been laughed at uh, a lot from traditional businesses and uh, maybe not been taken seriously quite a long time. So uh, going into, let's say, I don't know, uh, in Germany, like the the mouth of the lion, right? Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. Uh, And then talking there about, about the topics that I'm working on. The Master of Sustainability and Impact Management is is quite new. It's the first cohort still. It's an executive master. So all of the students that we have, they actually work in, in different companies and fields, mostly, of course, in the field of sustainability. And they are very eager to learn about how to set the, the knowledge that they have into practice. It's from the beginning on the design of the course, it was very well looked at. Do we have like the academic background, academic founding, but also always how can this be applied at best, you know, at the same time into the work at their, uh, that they are working on right now? And I think from generally the movement towards a more sustainable economy, and this is also part of the EU Green Deal, this is part of the climate goals that we have, getting climate neutral uh, in Europe by 2050. But now a lot of corporates, of course, have had their own pledges, right? So this was some things which I also know, because, you know, being in the field some years, that corporates haven't taken seriously. And now we see a lot of legislation. For example, if you take the German supply chain law, where corporates are responsible for human rights violations in their supply chain, and now the European Parliament is working on an even stricter supply chain law and, and many other things. So corporates didn't take this so seriously, in my opinion. And now they need a management that knows about sustainability and knows about how to put sustainability in practice Fast, right? And being a sustainability manager is really a not easy job. I have a lot of friends who work in different corporates as sustainability managers, because on the one side, you have the core business unit, on the other side, you have the employees. And many times in corporates, this hasn't been a topic that was important, sometimes even fought. For a long, long time, or if then seen as nice to have, a kind of uh, greenwashing. And now they have to pressure with with multiple with light speed to make it green, to make it sustainable, to make it. And they have compliance in their back, they have the business unit in their back, they have like all practices, right? So I think you need a lot of skills. You need to know about sustainability. You need to know about trends. You need to know about best practices, but you also need to know about people and culture. Uh, You need to know about compliance, right? So at the moment, I think in some years, probably this will be more established, but also I think maybe the challenges will rise. So again, there's an ongoing change, but at the moment, this is, I think, a very, very interesting field. So what is happening right now, there are a lot of possibilities to study these kind of things as a bachelor or as a consecutive master, but these people are not on the job market yet. So there is a huge demand for people that are on the job that have to get the things done right now. And uh, this is why, you know, we thought about um, offering this master and and there was a great resonance and it's a great, great group. I'm I'm only one small piece of this whole thing. There are a lot of external lectures and a lot of great academics. I'm always very happy when I work with them. And I think what is also very interesting is that I come from practice and they also come from practice. And then we come together and we look at the evidence, we look at best practices, and then we think about together... like how can we put this again into practice? So it's also for me a way to learn more and as more as I learn with different corporates and different settings, the more also I take away, especially when we have also uh, SMEs or or hidden champions that normally I wouldn't work with, right? And, and they are there uh, to represent their corporate and studying this master. It's a very uh, interesting journey. And as I said, it's our first cohort. I'm very eager to see, you know, where they will end up and and how they will have a change uh, within their corporates to make them more sustainable. So then this is also a little bit part of our impact logic to empower them to be change makers within their own organizations.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Going back to the systems entrepreneur or the systems change that you mentioned, I'm curious really to hear from you, what do you think will help us to truly achieve that systems change? And what kind of systems change are we even talking about? Right? Because there's so many different layers And so many, as you mentioned, uh, societal and economic problems right now, where do we even start? How do you see that? How do you kind of prioritize your work? And where do you think, where could we see the fastest results, the fastest impact?
1: Yeah, that's definitely a multi-layered question. There are different angles to that, right? I mean, personally, I always tell people when, when I get this kind of question is that start with looking at your own organization. I've just, this Friday, had a very, very great day working with 120 managers from Lufthansa and Lufthansa Group, discussing with them and working with them to see how we can make Lufthansa a green airline and climate neutral and a leader in sustainability. And this was really, really fascinating because they all applied from various fields. And this was the first time I had a program like that because really we had people from working in the cockpit and in the airplane and to, to engineers, to ground personnel. And what really united them is that they are all interested in sustainability. So this were not only classical sustainability managers, So this was really an absolutely awesome experience to work with them and to see so many people that uh, really want to push sustainability within their organizations, but it's like not even 1%, of course, representing the employees of Lufthansa. So we discussed a lot about how can they bring change within the broader organization. So what I normally tell people is that look at what organization or system you already work in. And I focus, for example, in my input session this Friday on how I started making systems change in my environment, right, with starting to to basically sell tea and coffee because that's what I did, to then you know in the end working as a policy advisor, and uh, this happened with just working as the system that I am, seeing that, for example, here in Baden-Württemberg, we should have an organization for social entrepreneurs. I am a social entrepreneur, so I started there, right? And start with something maybe that you're a part of and that you know in the organization that you're in. Of course, you know, there's a limit. I definitely also have people that I know of that are working in organizations or companies where they constantly hit a wall, and at some point, you know, it might be also a good choice for you to leave, right? If you really see this, is not, you can't have the change there that you want to achieve, especially in times that we live in. I'm pretty convinced there are other organizations that are exactly looking like people that want to have a change, but start with the organization, you know, that you're at. That would be my personal recommendation. For myself, I mean, there is something which, you know, when we work with policies like we did with the OISISs. This has, of course, the biggest impact, right? But this is also like (laughs) very, very long and it takes a lot of time. And it's a very, very uh, small steps. And you also only can be a very small part of it, which is good. This is the system that we live in, right? But then on the other side, uh, helping like other organizations at the moment, especially I work a lot also with corporates, which not a lot of social entrepreneurs like to do, or some colleagues don't like to do it, right? We have kind of this thinking, in the social entrepreneurship scene, uh, we work with social startups, so everything has to be perfect and we do everything perfect from the scratch, but then they maybe have like 20, 30, 40 employees, right, and they are nice and they have new work and they are, everybody's happy, but, you know, the impact is limited. When I work with corporates that have like thousands and thousands of employees and they're definitely not perfect, but even if I can help them to be a little bit better, my impact is bigger. But I I don't judge either way. I understand my colleagues that say they don't work with big corporations, but this is an angle that I definitely see when I have the feeling that they're genuinely interested in improving something. I also had the experience in the past that if I really feel this is only greenwashing and I kind of feel that they are using us. You know, just to pretend that this is, you know, something that they want, then also we stop working with them, you know, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's something that I don't want to do. And it's also not something my team wants to do. And then we start feeling bad and are not motivated and also not authentic, right? So you also have to be brave enough to do that. But when I have the feeling that these people, at least that I work with, are generally interested in improving their organization, yeah, I'm happy to work. And this is kind of also the main point where I see where we can have a lot of impact right now.
0: Mm -hmm. Hey, before we wrap up, I would love to do a rapid fire round. If you could complete the sentences for me, Manuel, that would be great. 2022 Mm -hmm. is a year of?
1: Of change and new challenges.
0: And the last thought-provoking book
1: that I read was? I think From Social Work to Social Change from Francois Bonici, from the Schwab Foundation on, on systems change.
0: And one of the best pieces of advice that I have received.
1: If you want to help others, you have to make sure that you take care of yourself as well, regarding to your well-being and mindfulness.
0: Mm -hmm. And a change maker who inspires me is?
1: Oh, there's so many, right? Mm -hmm. Um...
0: Well, you can name several.
1: (laughs) Uh, one change maker that inspires me uh, is Laura, the professor that I work in the University of Mannheim, because uh, coming really from an external background and establishing sustainability in the university and fighting her day in this, you know, business academics background, very traditional. As a young woman and as somebody who's pushing for sustainability, very believable, uh, she's definitely somebody who inspires me, yeah. Amazing. I also, I happen to work with. so.
0: <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. I should look <laughs> her up. Maybe she should be a guest on this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> Manuel, where can find people cozy and where can they find you if they want to reach out?
1: Yeah. Cozy is cozy.social. You can find me at LinkedIn. It's the easiest way. If you Google my name.
0: Great. I'll definitely link out to you, to your profile so that people can find Great. you and to cozy. So <laughs> Well, Manuel, thank you so much for taking the time today. It was such a interesting conversation. I will definitely go back and also take a look at the Cozy website and see what you're up to. We're connected on LinkedIn, so I will follow along what other projects you'll have in store and maybe, you know, when the time is right, you have new things to speak about, you can come back and we can talk some more.
1: Great. Nina, thank you very much for having me. I hope to see you again soon.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Meet the Changemakers podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found inspiring, instructive or hopeful? Can you think of anyone, maybe a friend, colleague or fellow entrepreneur who would appreciate this conversation? If so, take a second and share today's episode with them because together we can make it happen and build a better future. Until next time.